0: Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that your mercies are new this morning and you are a faithful God to us. That you love us. You love us so much, Father, that you sent your Son to purchase us. To take on the wrath that we deserve. You poured out on your Son out of your amazing love for us. Thank you for the gift of salvation and the realities of the cross and all that you have done for us and you promise to us in that and that you have given us new hearts in that. Father, we're not dead. We're not walking in darkness. But now we, you have transferred us into the kingdom of your Son. and we are no longer slaves to our sin. In our mixed conditioned hearts that are are weak, Lord, you've given us your grace. And God, this morning I pray and ask for your grace, your enabling grace to speak um, clearly that we would have undistracted hearts, that we would engage in what um, your word says, Lord, and that we would um, leave here this morning more in love with you, delighting in you, encouraged by the time we spend in your word and with one another. Thank you for the ministry of Wellspring Kids and all the faithful servants And, and Lord, I just lift all of them up to you and pray, Lord, that you, through your word and the teaching over there, that you would impact these children's hearts and draw them to yourself. God, we commit this morning to you and pray that you would be glorified in all of it. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay. Uh, oh, I didn't bring it up here, but you can take your notebooks out, turn them over. We're going to go over the disciplines. We're going to do what we usually do when we gather. Let's um, let's look at our at the wellspring purpose. It's two. We are here to equip and encourage one another, the women of Grace Bible Church. That's why we're here to equip and encourage one another. To shepherd our hearts to shepherd our hearts toward Jesus to shepherd our hearts toward Jesus Christ with the word of God we're here to encourage one another to shepherd our hearts toward Jesus Christ with his word so that that's a, it's a, that's a big so that so that we live out The gospel. Thus. What? Thus what? The outcome. Thus strengthening the church. Thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. The more um, I think about the wealth... You know what? I'm just going to tell you. (laughs) Emotional (laughs) today. So... Get it out of the way. Today's my last day teaching here. <laughs> that doesn't even have a lot to do with it, but a little bit to do with it. Anyway, and I'm an emotional person, but I'm overwhelmed. I'm just overwhelmed by God's good grace and what he has done here, in each one of you, what he's done in my heart, how he continues to grow me and teach me. When I think of the importance of wellspring. When I think of how important this is and grow in this and understand this more and more, why we keep talking about these disciplines, it's a big deal. It is such a big deal. I don't want to just gloss over this. It is so important for us. And this is a calling for all of us To unite our lives around this. And I I hope and pray that um, these disciplines, they're beginning to just take root in your life. And they're starting to frame how you think about life. About your walk with the Lord. They're becoming your default. And that you're growing in um, how, but not just how, but why we shepherd our hearts. Why we shepherd our hearts. How and why we evaluate our priorities. And not just how, but um, why we care for one another. In being effective ministers of the amazing gospel of Jesus. Hopefully, by now, you're convinced that we must always start with discipline one. Always. Thank you. I knew I would need, I have like a (laughs) pocketful. Let's look at that. We shepherd our hearts toward God through the Word of God. And particularly the gospel. Our walk with Christ always, always comes back to our heart and his word. Our heart and God's word. Because that's where God reveals himself to us. Most clearly, it's what he's given us. It's such a gift. It's a gift. This word of God is vital. And it's a gift to us. And if you are in Christ, you're not who you once were. You're not who you once were. You were lost, dead, hopeless. You couldn't shepherd your heart. Couldn't. You didn't want to and you couldn't. But because we're changed by Christ, we're redeemed, he's given us new hearts. And he's given us new desires. And because our hearts are still in that mixed condition, it is so necessary. It's necessary to... um, To bring, to lead, drag, sometimes, right? To shepherd our hearts to meet with him in his word. And it's our responsibility, and it's our privilege. It's our privilege to feed our new hearts with his word, in particular the gospel, with the realities of who he is, what Christ has done for us, and what he's doing and all of the promises that He's given to us, and that strengthens our weak hearts, strengthens our weak hearts as we meet with Him, as we commune with Him in His Word. And this is an ongoing process. It's ongoing. It's a life-long process, and it takes discipline. It just does. It just takes. It takes discipline. There will never be a time in this lifetime that we won't need to do this. There's, it's not gonna. We're never gonna reach the end in this lifetime. But there will be a day. There will be a day. <laughs> we'll be with him in glorification, and we won't battle this anymore. It'll be over. But until then, we keep pursuing him in his word. We keep pursuing him in his word. This is a, this is our act of worship to our Savior. <laughs> so. What's driving us to go to his word? What's driving us to go to God's word? It's just a time to evaluate. Is it, is it to check off our Bible reading plan? Or because you know someone's going to ask you? Because you feel guilty? All of those things I can say that happens to me. And if you're weak in this, ask for God's help. Ask for his help to, to drive you there. We go there because we want to see Jesus. We go there because we want to see Jesus and savor him so that we might treasure him more and more, so that we might value him above anything else, above anyone else. And hopefully we're growing in our understanding of God's heart for the household. That's discipline too. And, these, and the significance of our role and priorities in our homes and the impact we make there. It's discipline too. She ministers to those in her household with her heart for God and the gospel. And as we grow in our affection, our love for Jesus and our Saviors, we treasure him more and more. What's gonna flow? What will flow? Our affection. Our affection for him. As it grows, there will be this um, this aroma. There will be this aroma of Christ and His and His gospels, and the gospel's work in our lives. It will flow from our hearts, treasuring him above anything else. We make an impact. We've said this over and over, but we make an impact in our home right now today. We're impacting the people that we live with and those who enter into our homes, those we spend the most time with. You're influencing them all of the time. Isn't that a sober thought? It's a sober thought to me. But please be encouraged that this too is a process. This is a process that God and and um, God gives you the grace to do what he's called you to. But again, it doesn't just happen because you want it to. I think we would all agree we want it to. We want this to happen. It doesn't work that way. This too takes discipline. It takes being purposeful with our... Um, prone to wander mixed condition hearts we have the privilege to impact those we live with and those that come into our homes with the most amazing love of Christ to impact those by displaying Christ likeness and humility and to um, and your pursuit of making him your greatest treasure by living out and displaying your transformed life as we labor for transformation of life in others and if you're being faithful to shepherd your heart with God's word, and you're being faithful in your homes as 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 you grow, as you grow in living out the gospel there, then you know what we'll be um, significant instruments in his hands. Think about that. A significant instrument in in whose hand? Whose hand? The Redeemer's hand? God's hand? Our Redeemer's hand to minister to those outside. Of our household to those to those relationships, which is our third discipline, discipline three, with a heart for God. And the gospel—that's discipline one—and fulfilling her ministry within her household, discipline two. She steps into the church to shepherd others toward God, and the gospel. And we just have to keep saying we never move past this, um, we never or we never move past, and we never neglect we never graduate from discipline one or from discipline two there's a significant order to these disciplines as they happen simultaneously gospel centered ministry always flows from gospel centered ministry always flows from a heart nourished with a steady diet of the gospel do you see there's so much at stake Our hearts, our homes, the church, the good news of the gospel being proclaimed to the ends of the earth. So, as you minister to others, you know, maybe it's your your daughter or to a friend who is weak, and you think, you know what, I don't even know where to start, I got nothing. This is where you start. Right here. We go back to this. This is where you start. You start with your own heart first, and then you can address the same disciplines with whoever you're ministering to. It's where you start with anyone else as you bring them hope and encouragement, possibly admonishment, whatever. It's my prayer that. Um, These disciplines are becoming more and more a part of your thinking. Um, You're praying. More of how um, and why you minister to others in your home and outside of your home. That um, you're growing with me (laughs) and understanding why these disciplines are so important. Because as a disciple of Christ, your life, your life, all of your life is ministry. So we want to labor to make every act of service, um, every word, every deed, every thought, flow out of what God has done for us in the gospel and what he's doing in our lives so that we give off that aroma of Christ. I have so far to go. I have so far to go. But we can unite. We can unite to encourage one another in this, right? Yes? So let's do that. All right. Turn, you did turn to um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we are going to pick up where we left off last week in identifying six gospel centered truths for ministry. Um, on your outline, it starts with the third one, but um, last week we gave you the first two. But let's start off by reading the passage, starting in verse 1. He says, Paul says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority, but we prove to be gentle among you. As um, A nursing mother. (laughs) As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so it's not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You were witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you, as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Last week we talked about how ministry must be concerned first and most with engaging people with the gospel. And in doing that, gospel ministry is never vain. It's uh, never hollow. It's not found wanting in purpose. And that gospel ministry requires boldness. It requires boldness, not in ourselves, right? But in God. Even when we're surrounded by opposition. And in order for that boldness in our God to increase, what must we do? <coughs> Say it. <laughs> yeah, we shepherd our hearts with his word, with the gospel, to be near our God. It's going to increase. This is if it's going to increase, this is vital. It's crucial. And we also said that in gospel centered ministry, God Himself is central. He is the origin of our message and the mission and that we are sent ones of the gospel message and that God purifies our exhortations. That our gospel-centered lives are true words and pure lives and gospel-centered motives. And that, you know, He tests us. He tests us to entrust us with the gospel. God is so loving To test us, to purify us, so that we can be more like Christ. We've been entrusted with the gospel. That's why we preach it to our own hearts, first and most, because that's what prepares us to endure God's refining, to be more effective ministers of the gospel. And if He's influencing us, if He is influencing us, we can't be silent. We can't be silent. And God is the primary audience, not men. And he drops our mask in ministry, meaning when the gospel's controlling us, our motives will be genuine, not for selfish gain, but for others' benefit. And the gospel being powerful inside us makes us use our authority in a gospel-centered, humble, kingdom kind of way. And our greatest example is Jesus. He took on the form of a slave. And now our third uh, gospel-centered truth, and that's going to be the first one on your outline this morning, is uh, in verse 7. Let's read that. He says, But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing, nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. So the verse starts off with the word but, meaning there's a contrast, right? So we've got to look back up at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles, of Christ, um, we might have asserted our authority, but we proved to be gentle. So rather than men who might have thrown their weight and authority around, they were gentle, like a tender nursing mother. To start contrast, they were men with authority, and he says they were like a gentle nursing mother. A nursing mother. She either, she either comes down to the level of her child or she brings that baby up to her level. A baby's helpless. But a nursing mother, she picks up her baby, and she makes herself available to her baby. She gets on the same level to be available. And Paul says, we were like that with you. We made ourselves available to you. We met you where you were at. This is strong expression coming from Paul. I mean, think about it. It's coming from this manly man, Paul. (laughs) Right? And he's going to these extreme lengths to show his commitment to gentleness and to care for their needs as they were babes in Christ. Moms, do you see how this can apply to parenting? Paul's example is so helpful, and it's so impactful as we parent or grandparent. We too, we can get down to the level, to our children's level, to seek to understand, see where they are. We humble ourselves by remembering our own struggle with sin and what Christ has done for us. And we confess sin when we've sinned against them instead of throwing authority around. We come alongside them. We bring the gospel to them like a gentle, tender mother. The gospel's the milk they need. It's what changed us, right? It's what nourishes us. And it's what others need for nourishment too. That's gospel ministry. It's for all of us to really try to understand those you're caring for at their level. I've been thinking about this, and um, this this question is not on your outline, but I was just thinking: at the end of the day, you know, do you identify more with a gentle, tender nursing mother, or as someone who's throwing authority around? Gospel-centered ministry is characterized by a motherly. Gentleness, and remember, who was Paul's example? His example was Jesus. For the sake of time, there's some questions on your outline. We may not cover all of them, but that they will be your homework questions. But um, maybe we will go over this question. But just think about how well you step into others' lives to build them up. You know, are there new believers who you can nurture? You know, and um, it can it can be really a comfortable thing to just hang on really tightly to the relationships that are your friends and the friends that you've had for a long time, and we we certainly want to keep those relationships strong. But as women are coming into our church and into our small groups, maybe they're new to our body, maybe they're new to the Lord. Um, we have the privilege of reaching out to them with gentle motherly care, getting on their level, to bring them in, to welcome them. To nourish them with the gospel too, and and I see I see so many of you doing it and it's just very encouraging. So you're an example to me. Okay, number four. Fourth gospel centered truth. A gospel centered ministry will be satisfied with nothing less than deep affection. Nothing less than deep affection for people. That's verse eight. Verse eight says, Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. So, last week we started making some sandwiches. And um, we're going to continue making a a few sandwiches this morning. And Sarah was so kind to do this little graphic to help us understand. You see the sandwich? The bread? There's a top piece of bread (laughs) and there's a bottom piece of bread and in the middle is all the good stuff, right? The meat. Okay, so we're going to the, the top piece of bread and the bottom piece of bread say um, close to the same thing. And then in the middle is something different, the meat that we want to uh, draw attention to. So what's the bread in verse 8? How does the verse start? Um, it says that he has fond affection for them. And then see how it ends? It says they were very dear to him. See how both parts say basically the same thing? That's the bread. Fond affection Dear to us, very dear. And then what's in the middle? What's the meat? says, we were well pleased to impart the gospel and our lives. So for the bread, he says, you were dear to us. We loved you. He didn't even know these people before he got there. He was on the run from Philippi after being beaten. And as he's ministering to them, even though he knew them for a really short time, the gospel produced in him a love and affection for them. Look back at um, verses 1 and 2. Remember how Paul said the gospel came here. Verses 1 and 2, he says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel amid much opposition. Paul was relentless. He had boldness in proclamation of the gospel for sure. We know that. But then we get down to verse 8, and we see fond affection. We see fond affection. Paul says, you've become so dear to us. We wanted to impart not only the gospel to you, but also our own lives. These two things, boldness and affection, they go together. They go together. There's there's gospel content, and there's gospel care, personal involvement. And we need to give both. We need to give both. That's the meat in the sandwich. That's what comes out of affection for those to whom you minister. Our goal is to give people the gospel. We must give others the content of the gospel without compromise. But that should never be disconnected from a caring relationship with people. And, and you know what? We probably tend to lean you know, toward one or the other. Or favor one to the exclusion of the other, some of us are very focused on being sure we give out the gospel without necessarily being as much concerned with how we give it out. You, you know, you're like you're gonna know this gospel content. I've got to I've got to give me give you you know all the points of it, and you know you're gonna you're just gonna know it by the end of this conversation without affection for the for them. Have you ever done that? i have i've done that some of us might be more on um, the relational side you know we might be inclined to think you know i need to build this really strong relationship and i need to show them the love of christ which you do and never get around to actually sharing the content the gospel with them i've done that too now, there is something to building relationships. But if, if, if I'm not concerned to give the content of the most important message, the only hope they may ever hear or need to be reminded of, it's not really loving. It's not really loving. That's not what Paul was doing. Um, we need to let our affection, we need to let our affection, our love for our Savior, And our love for others, believers and unbelievers, drive and motivate our proclamation. See, it's both. We give the gospel and we give ourselves. We impart our lives. And, and we work to do both of these to join them, to join them in gospel content and gospel care. They're, they're inseparable. Gospel centered ministry, in a gospel centered ministry, they'd be inseparable. And this is how we minister to one another. We all need gospel content. And we all need care from one another in order to build up the body. Here's another question. How is our effectiveness with the gospel impacted by the level or the absence of affection for others? Is it easier for you to bring the gospel to people you do have an affection for? See, it will be if it's gospel-driven affection for them. Because that kind of affection will impact what we say, and how we say it. We don't want to sacrifice one for the other. We want to strive to bring them together so that there is no distance between those two, um, so that they happen simultaneously as we care for one another. Okay, our fifth gospel-centered truth, number five. A gospel-centered ministry keeps the path to the gospel clear. That's verse nine. A gospel-centered ministry keeps the path To the gospel clear. He says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Now, his main point here is we proclaim to you the gospel of God, but then he says, Remember that there was labor and hardship, and we worked night and day. Why? He says he didn't want to be a burden. He didn't want to be a burden to them, and he's probably talking about a financial burden. Um, As a frontier missionary, Paul's the first Christian going into these areas with the gospel. And most of the time in those settings, Paul's practice was not to take any money from the new believers until they were more established and um, the church was formed. And then um, if they wanted to give to him, he'd usually accept those gifts then. But at this point in Thessalonica, he didn't accept any financial assistance because he didn't want any obstacles. To the gospel. He wanted a clear path for bringing the gospel to them, and to do that, well, they had to, they had a lot of labor and they had a lot of hardship. In fact, they worked night and day. He says, they worked night and day. Why not day and night? It's possible, most likely, um, they would begin working either really early in the morning or halfway through the night, working into part of the day in order to have the rest of the day to minister the gospel they probably didn't sleep very much but they did that to keep a clear path he didn't want them to feel a burden and there are times when we're ministering to others when we need to make sacrifices in order to make a clear path for the gospel ministry requires sacrifice here's a question for you one way we could apply this. Can you re- recall how an older, wiser believer personally made sacrifices so you could keep growing in the gospel? For whom will you seek to do the same? Maybe you don't even know or you can't remember how others made sacrifices so you could grow in the gospel. For some of you, you know, you know it's um, maybe your parents. You know there were sacrifices made um, in order for you to know the Lord or to grow in the gospel. But for us, for all of us, you know, think back to those who maybe made that kind of sacrifice for you. And then think about the second question. For whom will you do the same? And start to pray um, that you would be the older, wiser Christian woman who could come alongside another woman who is younger in her faith. Pray for wisdom to see how you can remove any obstacle that would hinder her growth. And then do what you need to do. And again, it's evident that I see so many of you doing this. It's a privilege to see um, just his grace working in you as you are intentional in ministry. Okay, the last gospel-centered truth, number six. A gospel-centered ministry's primary goal is transformation of life that is worthy of God. A gospel-centered ministry's primary goal is transformation of life that is worthy of God. And that takes us to our last sandwich. Now, this time, it's between verses 10 um, and 12. Verse 10's the top piece of bread, and verse 12's the bottom piece, and, and they're similar. Verse 11's the meat. It's what's in the middle. Um, so let's take a look at verse 10. It says, You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved. Towards new believers, He says that they lived blamelessly, they lived devoutly, they lived above reproach. Now whose life was Paul describing in verse 10? Mm-hmm. He's describing his own life there. The quality of life that Paul had was above reproach. He lived devoutly, he lived blamelessly and, and uprightly. Now look at verse 12, the bottom piece of bread. He says, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So here in verse 12, whose life is he talking about? Anyone? Yeah, he's talking about the Thessalonians. Um, So now, um, he's not talking about his own there. So now in verse 10, we have the messengers, the sent ones, they have transformed lives. And then in in verse 12, the ones they were ministering to who believed, they must have transformed lives. See that? See that? So, gospel ministry is all about changed lives, transformation of life. Life on life with the gospel so that our changed lives are laboring for changed lives. It has to be that way. It's not gospel-centered ministry if it's not interested in transformation of life. So, there are your two pieces of bread. Okay, and then um, let's look at verse 11. He says, we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. So he had a fatherly pursuit. That's what Paul sandwiched in between transformation of life. He says, we had a fatherly pursuit of your changed life, of your transformation of life. So the primary goal of gospel ministry is what? Changed lives. And the way Paul describes the way he pursued, the way he labored for their changed lives, is by comparing himself to a father after his own children. In verse 11, he says, Each one of you. He's, in, he's emphasizing individuals here. As Paul thinks back on his ministry, he remembers that he had spent time with each one of them, like a father spends time with each one of his kids. A father needs to shepherd each of his children in a unique way according to their needs um, of the moment. Sometimes, like in verse 12, it's an exhortation. Sometimes it's a more uh, gentle encouragement. And other times, the father's imploring his child with the gospel. He actually says something very similar down in, um, you can turn there, chapter 5, verse 14. Let's look there. He's trying to pass along to them the very thing that he did with them. He says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. It's a very individualized ministry. And we need to have an individualized, personal, thoughtful approach in each relationship. For example, unruly people. They do need to be warned. Maybe not so much encouraged even at that moment, but warned in a soft kind of way. But um, we don't want to admonish someone when they're faint hearted. See, and we need to know the difference. Or try to know the difference. It, it takes prayer, it takes time together, it takes careful listening so that we can understand what's going on in each other's lives. We can't make assumptions. If I make assumptions, I might first think, my friend, she's unruly, and I need to warn her. But when I take the time, and ask questions and listen carefully I may begin to realize that you know I had no idea where she's at what's going on as she shares her heart and I might discover that what she really needs is encouragement with the gospel she needs to be encouraged not admonished there's a difference and we need to labor to know the difference sometimes we do need to give both sometimes we do need to give encouragement and admonishment with patience I know for me My first response isn't always a thankful heart for the help someone's offering me, but as they encourage me and remind me of biblical truths in the gospel, by His grace, my heart may soften. If not, then I probably need admonishing. And I'm thankful for those who bear with me and help me and drive me to that level ground, the cross. And even just a, 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 just a warning here, or just a word about that word need. We have to be really careful how we use that word need. You know, when we talk about assessing a need, ours or anyone else's, um, this, this is not something that's based on feelings or what we think we have a right to. Rather, when we think of needs, as in what does this person need, we should think along the lines of Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. That means building up according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So when we think about needs, when we're thinking about how we give God's grace to someone so that they're built up in the faith, that's how we think about needs. It's going after that transformation of life that Paul was so concerned with. That is the need we're to be concerned with first and most. And then how we deliver that grace. As admonishment for the unruly or as encouragement for the faint-hearted or help for the weak is determined according to the need of the moment. So gospel-centered ministry will always have this personal component. That's how we help one another grow in sanctification how Paul ministered to the Thessalonians he says we were exhorting some of you and we were encouraging others of you and we were imploring others like a father does with each of his kids and and that's how we help one another grow All right, so let's take a look at verse 12 again it says so that you walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory now we're going to come back and we're going to finish with this this verse Um, but for now look at this what does God do? What, what is God doing in this passage? It says, he calls you. And he's not emphasizing here um, when God called you in the past tense, your conversion. God calls you is in the present tense. It means he's continually calling you to his own kingdom. It's true, God already transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his son. Um, and now he's continually Calling us into greater and greater knowledge, realization of him and his kingdom reign in our lives. It's like, you know, when you're walking with you moms especially, or you remember back when you're walking with the little ones and their little legs are really, really tiny and they can't keep up and they're, um, they want to stop and they want to look at things and they get easily distracted and they get tired. And you start saying, come on might take their little shoulders, turn them around or say, come on. Come on, honey. Let's go. And you know that's kind of what God is doing. It is what he's doing. He's tenderly calling us as a father. He's saying, come on. You need to see more. You need to know more. You need to experience more of my own kingdom reign in your life. What an amazing God. He's walking with us. He's continually calling us. And he's not done with us. We must still be called into greater and greater alignment with his will. And he won't stop until he's done. That's how great our God is. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that comforting? All right, so how do we conclude this? What's the bigger picture of gospel-centered ministry? If we had to sum it all up, what would we say? Okay, here it is. It's this inseparable combination and a gospel-centered ministry. Number one, it's proclamation. And then number two, down below on your outline, it's demonstration. Proclamation and demonstration, number two. If we're going to have a gospel-centered ministry, we've got to be all about the proclamation of the gospel. We have to be. Paul was all about that. And you see, um, you see the references there on your outline under number one. Um, Look at chapter—I mean, I'm just going to read these off really quickly. But chapter one, verse five, he says, "Our gospel came to you in word." In verse six, he talked about how they received the word. In verse eight, he points out how the word of the Lord has sounded forth. In chapter two, verse two, he says, "We speak the gospel." In verse four, so we speak. He also stated negatively in, in chapter five, he said, or in verse five, he said, We didn't come to you with flattery speech. We had gospel speech. And in verse eight he says, We imparted to you not only the gospel, but also our lives. And then in verse nine he says, We proclaimed the gospel. Paul is very much about the proclamation of the gospel. <clears throat> gospel centered ministry is gonna make believers open their mouths and actually proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified. And a gospel-centered ministry is not going to stop there. If we learn anything from 1 Thessalonians 1 and 2, it's that Paul didn't come in word only. We have to join the word being proclaimed with the word being lived out, demonstrated. That's the second point. Paul equally emphasized life-on-life ministry. His gospel ministry was all about one life engaging with another life. You see it in, in uh, back up in chapter one verse five. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you. In verse six, you became imitators of us. It was it was about one life being lived out in front of another. In, in uh, verse seven, Paul commends the Thessalonians that they became an example to all the believers. In chapter two verse one, he's talking about the way we entered into your lives. In verse seven, we were gentle among you, describing the behavior and the manner. They had while they were with him. In verse eight, we imparted to you our lives. In verse ten, you are witnesses. He's concerned about the way they lived out lives before them. In verse eleven, he said he is concerned about each one of them. So it's clear here in First Thessalonians one and two that if we're going to have a gospel-centered ministry, we need to open our mouths. And we need to proclaim the word. We must proclaim the truth about Jesus Christ. We must raise from the dead all the realities of the gospel and we must be concerned with engaging in others' lives. That's what we mean by demonstration. Paul did that. He was intentional. And the greatest example of all is Jesus. He's the greatest proclaimer and the greatest demonstrator. Okay. So now we said that we would come back to verse 12. We see that it starts with that, uh, with the so what. It's the whole reason why Paul did what he did. Here is his ultimate motive in ministry. That's the blank on your outline. Here's his ultimate motive in ministry. It's why he was concerned to proclaim and demonstrate. It's why he did all the things we saw in chapter one a few weeks ago. Why he was concerned to have the right message and to be an uncommon messenger, to be imitatable, to be effective, to labor for repentance. It's why his ministry was concerned with what we've seen in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It's why his concerned first and most with engaging people with the gospel. It's why God was central in his ministry. Why he had a motherly gentleness, a deep affection. That's why he was willing to sacrifice and take on hardship that's why he labored for transformed lives why did he do what he did what was his ultimate motive in ministry verse 12 says so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the god who calls you into his own kingdom and glory that's the result that's the result of the gospel it's why God in His holiness and His love provided a way through His Son for sinners to be reconciled to Himself. It's the power of the gospel. It's trans- it transforms God-haters into those who walk worthy of Him. And we participate. We participate in God's gospel transformation in our lives by shepherding our hearts with the gospel, with God's word so that we can be a servant, actually a slave of that gospel in our homes, in our church, in the world. There's so much at stake. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> thank you again for your word, and I pray that we would be um, concerned, Lord, to open our mouths to share the good news of the gospel with one another and with those who don't know you, that we would do it gently, tenderly, that we would care for one another and and seek to understand where one another, where we're at, so we can best encourage and display and speak um, gospel truths to one another. Lord, I pray that we you would help us grow in deep affection for one another, being willing to sacrifice, take on hardship, labor for one another, <clears throat> labor for transformed lives. Lord, and we want to do all of this so that you would be glorified and your church would be strengthened. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.